Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. We gather for this next hour around the gift of the inspired and true Word of God, the Word made flesh, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has called us out of darkness and into His marvelous light. The light shines on us today from Paul's second letter to the Church of Corinth, chapter 6. Paul tells us now is the day of salvation, and he gives us a litany of what happens as a servant of Christ. The gifts are ready for you. Thank you for tuning in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Brady Finnern, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. A special thanks to Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. To learn more about Lutheran Heritage Foundation, visit lhfmissions.org, lhfmissions.org. To help us to be strengthened by the Word of God this morning, we have with us Pastor Peter Schmidt, a beautiful Savior Lutheran Church in Waukesha, Wisconsin. Pastor Schmidt, welcome to Thy Strong Word. Hey, thanks, Pastor Finner, and I really appreciate you asking me to be a part of this, and it's always good to get into God's Word, and we've all been doing a lot of different online things uh, since COVID started, but to get back to radio, outstanding. So thanks for having me. Well, thank you. Thank you. Um, Pastor, I'm still relatively new to this. And is this your first time on KFUO? It is absolutely my first time on KFUO. Interestingly enough, my father-in-law, way back when, when he was uh, at the seminary in the 1940s, early 40s, actually played organ on KFUO. So it's kind of neat to be able to be on the radio station again. Wow. Wow. That's a great history. You should write a paper on that and hand it in. What do you think? No, I think I'm okay with that. <laughs> All right. Well, since you're new and I'm new, um, we look at this and we ask our Lord's blessings today. But I also want to give you an update on something I started doing the first day, which would have been, you know, not last Thursday, the Thursday before my first live show that I asked people who were listening for you, the listeners, to tell us where you're listening from, because KFUO is known to be KFUO, uh, worldwide KFUO. And, and I was like, okay, so who's actually listening? So I asked, hey, if you're listening, tell me where you're listening from. So throughout Thursday and that, that Friday and then all of last week, um, I asked them to send the letters in and we received emails, 45 emails representing 25 states. Thankfully, Wisconsin was in there. And in my mind, thankfully, Minnesota was as well. And then also four countries, get this, not even, not even next to each other, Sri Lanka, Ontario, Canada, of course, that's, I mean, Wisconsin, Minnesota, we're basically Canadian, right? Um, okay, no. yep, the, we're there. <laughs> the Philippines and also in Jamaica. Wow. So what a, what a joy. So when you're talking today, know that you're not just being heard by people from St. Louis, even though there's a good, strong contingent from St. Louis, but also from around the world. So God, thanks be to God for that. Any thoughts on that as we begin? Yeah, it's just it's fabulous when you think about how the Lord works. Do you think about uh, when communism fell apart in the former Soviet Union and those huge towers and transmitters just spewing out propaganda for communism? And then when that fell apart, I mean, even the Lutheran Hour being able to be broadcast over those airways, what a great God we have and using the technology has blessed us with in a very positive way. Oh, you're exactly right. Thanks be to God um, for all that he gives. Now, for a reminder to our listeners, tomorrow will be our time to receive questions from our list from you, 
Um, write down your questions today, and we'll take our best stab at them. Not today, though. Pastor Schmidt, you are relieved from having to get any um, questions out of left field. But starting tomorrow, we will give you the uh, the the phone the phone number to call into, and also the email to send. Um, that tomorrow we'll just look at those questions, and it will not be based on our opinions, but only by the clear word of God with Christ on every single page. But today we'll begin looking at Second Corinthians chapter six. And Pastor Schmidt, as we look at that, can you begin us in prayer, please? All right, let's do that. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the day you've blessed us with and giving us the opportunity this morning to center around you in your word. We thank you for that powerful word, that you're a God who doesn't treat us from a distance or make yourself into some sort of jigsaw puzzle where we have to find all the pieces and put them together in the right way. But you, through your spirit, speak to us through that word. And so we ask now that you would open up our ears to hear in our hearts to receive what you desire us to receive so that with great joy we can live in the joy of your salvation. So Holy Spirit, bless us as we together gather around your word. We pray in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. We are starting chapter 6 of Second Corinthians. But do you have, I mean, there's a lot of stuff in the first five chapters. Any introductory or background or contextual things you want to bring up before we begin? I think the the biggest thing is when we go back in the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 18, and, and read about Paul's time in Corinth. First, there is that encouragement from the Lord there that I have people here. And so don't be worried so much about all the persecution that's going on. But you have kind of this this group of people, we hear about it in his first letter to the Corinthians, that really kind of have a hard time with the whole issue of of loving each other, what what that means. It seems like they're almost more interested in in power and in prestige, doing all these wonderful works and everything. And, and interestingly enough, the Lord is still very much alive and well among them. But but this whole idea of how do we actually love each other? Well, that's a challenge. And then the whole matter of uh, dealing with true repentance and forgiveness. Well, then we get into the second letter that we have and this this whole matter now of, okay, how do we actually forgive someone who is repentant? But then also how Paul is being treated, how he's being viewed. So it seems like there have been people who have kind of infiltrated the church, if you will, people who are kind of dissing Paul, saying, you know, he's he's nothing. And Paul kind of makes fun of them, almost calling them like super apostles. But then when you think about this whole matter of, for for instance, chapter four, which you would have, you know, gone through a while ago, I guess, and, and five, that whole idea of having this treasure in jars of clay and this whole idea of then our whole ministry, it, it's not about, you know, power and prestige. It's all about Jesus. And so we, we always go back and look at Jesus. And to use terms, some, some of you might remember from confirmation class about Jesus' state of humiliation and then exaltation, humiliation where he doesn't fully use his divine powers, but takes on the form of a servant in, in a wondrous way. We think about that at the Last Supper when he's uh, washing the disciples' feet. 
And then we really see with Paul, he's doing the same thing. He's not trying to show off and make himself like this powerful TV evangelist in our day and age, showing all the glitz and glamour, but instead just bringing Jesus in a very humble way and saying, okay, here is what we're about. We're about Jesus and this ministry of reconciliation. And then as we you know, start this chapter, we hear just almost like this pleading. You need to know Jesus. Now's the time. You know, don't delay. Now's the time. And that is that really is summed up with verse 21, right before we get to today that we covered uh, on Friday. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Why is that such an important passage, not only in as we look at today, but also obviously throughout the whole scriptures? Why is that such an important verse there? Well, really, the whole scriptures are centered on, on Jesus. So I like making a a little diagram for our kids where we have um, one arrow pointing toward the middle of things, another arrow pointing to the middle, one from the left, one from the right. The Old Testament is the one on the left with an arrow pointing to something, and it says promise. And then the New Testament would be an arrow coming really from the right pointing to the left, and it says fulfillment. And right in the middle is the cross of our Lord Jesus. And, and the whole idea, since really the fall uh, into sin uh, in the Garden of Eden, is this whole idea of why we need Jesus and and how this is going to work. One who's going to come, born of a woman, who's going to crush Satan. Well, how is he going to do it in a way that to us as human beings, we wouldn't come up with anything like this. But what happens is the one who created all things becomes like his creation, if you will, becomes true man. Why? So things can be made right, so we can be reconciled and, and know again the joy of, of living life, if you will, the way it was designed to be, to be following our Lord, always doing, if you will, the right thing. So that righteousness of God uh, also includes us just going through this life uh, living it as God intended it to be lived. And again, why? So we can be reconciled to God because God wants us to be in a relationship with him. So we always talk about God loves loves me. Well, how do you know you're in love with someone? You need to be with that person. So God, in a wondrous way, his very essence being love is saying, look, I need to be with you. And so this is why my son has come to you. So that in him, through what he's done, he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might then become right with God, have that righteousness of God. Well, let's, let's dig in because that's a great foundational verse as we look at the rest. So let's begin chapter 6. Once again, we are reading from the English Standard Version, the ESV of the Bible. Chapter 6, verse 1. Working together with him then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time, I listened to you. In a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is a favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Well, they're working together, he appeals to them. And what is he appealing to them in these verses? Oh, man. Again, just this whole idea of this is what it's all about. Again, 
again, that relationship and, and don't delay. Why would you want to delay living in the kingdom, if you will, being in this wondrous relationship with the Lord? And so this is what it's about. You, you keep talking about all these important things, these great gifts that you Corinthians have. You can't have any greater gift than this wondrous gift of God's love. And so in a favorable time, I listened to you. And in a day of salvation, I have helped you. Look, now is the time. And let's work for that. So I know like for our congregation, our, um, our mission statement at Beautiful Savior Waukesha is inviting people to know Jesus, providing opportunities to grow in his love. And, and that's really what, he, what he's saying here. We kind of got the, the verse from this, if you will. Now's the time. So invite people, come. So those of you maybe who uh, were in church yesterday, the three-year lectionary, the gospel account of uh, Nathaniel and uh, coming to Jesus, Philip, you know, and invited him. And Nathaniel's like, Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? And Philip just simply said, you know, come and see. You need to come. You need to be a part of this. And so you really hear this this heart of Paul saying, man, you can't delay. Why would you delay? Be a part of this. Well, and I think the adage, because I used to serve near Waukesha, Wisconsin, I think in North Prairie, we used to say, can anything good come out of Waukesha? Yeah, yeah, that's about it. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but throughout, throughout the Bible, when you talk about salvation, it is today as a theme, especially in the New Testament. So you look at um, Luke chapter 2, at least this is the NIV version, it is they that say, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. Salvation has come right now. And we also see it when, when Jesus goes and he sees um, Zacchaeus and he goes to his house and he says, today salvation has come to this house. So this is not something like um, we start with us and then God, you know, kind of like, well, if you do this and then God will do this. It is totally today God is at work and that message is for you. That is totally how I'm seeing that. He quotes Isaiah chapter 49. And this is something, why would you, um, vain is kind of empty handed. You know, vain is like, you're just, I don't want anything to do with this. Well, he fills that empty hand with salvation. And that is something that I think really starts us off here well, is that we're working together and this is the reality we have. And so let us have joy as we move forward. Last thoughts on the first two verses? Oh, absolutely. I mean, this is this is the day the Lord has made. So let us rejoice and be glad in it. Kind of carpe diem, let's seize the day. Let's, let's be a part of this. And then the other thing with this, when you think about the whole aspect of what forgiveness really is, you know what forgiveness brings in a brand new day. I mean, now we just start over. Even if it's in the middle of a day where I've committed this sin, I have come to repentance, okay, I can start over now. I can have a brand new day. And when we think about it, shoot, we just celebrated, you know, New Year's Eve and going into 2021 and I really don't think anyone thought, oh, miraculously, everything's going to change as we turn the calendar uh, over to a new year. But there is always kind of that hope and expectation, you know, to start over. Well, God really gives us that, doesn't he? A brand new day, the one who started this whole thing of time, eternal God giving us time in creation. 
what a wondrous new time he gives us uh, in forgiveness and bringing us into the kingdom through faith in Jesus. As Paul says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. And this goes into this. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So it is a new day and that day is full of God's salvation. Let's continue on to verses three. And we'll split it up a little bit here. This is something where we could go all the way to the end and just keep talking, but we want to split it up so we really dig in. So we'll do verses three through five. We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. Okay, so he, he, starts, he starts with this, that there's no obstacle in this way. And then he kind of talks about obstacles. How, what is he trying yeah. to point us to here, Pastor? Well, I, how I'm reading this here is when you, you look at Paul's other letters and in context, he kind of try to almost celebrates the fact that we have never charged you for anything. We have, we have never said, you know, we'll do this ministry if you give us X amount of dollars. I mean, so you get the call paper. Okay, what's the salary going to be? He's not worried about the salary. He continues to, whether it be working with uh, Aquila and Priscilla as far as tent makers or other people taking care of him, whatever, he loves doing the ministry for free. Whereas the so-called super apostles, you know, seem to be getting some material benefits from it. So why is that? So it's not an obstacle. So people don't come back and say, oh, he's only doing this for the money or he's doing this to take advantage of us. Well, because of this, then maybe looking in some people's sight as kind of this, you know, humble worker instead of this advanced teacher that everyone is is paying to listen to and all that. Well, because of that, people treat him maybe poorly. Now, obviously, what's behind all of that poor treatment is is the evil one, and what he tries to uh, to do to wreak havoc in the kingdom. But here is Paul saying, "Look, we are just we're just bringing Jesus." We're not going to do other things that are going to distract you. So, for instance, uh, where he will talk in, in other sections, other letters about uh, the fact that, look, if you have a weaker brother, for instance, I might be free to do this or that, but I'm not going to do it for the sake of that brother or sister. I don't want to do anything which is going to distract from Jesus. And so really, maybe that's the way to look at the obstacle. I'm not doing anything which is going to take the focus away from Jesus. And it is interesting. It would be fascinating to find out more about what these super apostles were saying. Because he speaks about a lot of things that he went through. You know, later on, he'll talk about how he was stoned, how he was, you know, uh, flogged five times that he was stoned. And you think about all those things and he highlights all of those things that happened to him. He speaks about when he writes this letter that he's in tears and he's in anguish that he's going through afflictions. And he speaks so much about all of those things. 
So it makes you wonder as he defends his ministry. I mean, Second Second Corinthians is one um, extending a care for the souls of Corinth, but also he's defending his ministry to tell him, "I am an apostle. These are the things I've gone through um, for you and working together." So I would just be fascinated to find more what these super apostles were saying, because we get just a little glimpse of it of it here. But he goes through a whole list about uh, by great endurance. What what's the importance of endurance when we talk about the Christian life for Paul and for us? Oh man, I mean, you think about how Jesus talked to the disciples about really counting the cost, and uh, you remember where uh, you know some people came to him and said, "Oh, you know, I'll I'll follow you, but first, you know, I need to go do this," or. Um, you know, Jesus saying, come follow me, and someone saying, eh, not right now. And so this whole idea of, of counting the cost, realizing, look, if I'm going to build a tower, I better have it all planned out, know I have enough resources to finish it. If I'm going to go to battle, I better make sure that my army is well prepared and I'm going to be able to see this through because otherwise it's not going to work out so well. The same thing, it's Jesus just constantly would, would talk about to the disciples, uh, being a Christian does not mean that everything's going to be you know, perfect all the time. If they treated the Son of God the way they did, I mean, shoot, they put a guy to death for raising the dead, among other things, healing the blind, uh, unstopping the ears of those who are deaf, and for his wondrous teaching— on, on what it truly means to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor uh, as ourselves. If they're going to treat him that way, they're going to treat his followers that way. And so we need to be in it for the long haul. So like the writer to the Hebrews puts it about, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. And so it is for you and me. I mean, we... Fortunately, for us as Christians here in the United States, we have not had to go through what some of our brothers and sisters are going through in other parts of the world now, and Christians have throughout history. Um, But if it were to come, we shouldn't be surprised by it. And to be prepared in how, how we endure is we hold on to Jesus, or maybe a better way of saying that is letting him hold on to us in the sense that we're not going to just try to do things on our own. So for instance, you remember um, when Jesus told Peter that, look, you know, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. And Peter says, no, you know, that's not going to happen. What Peter should have done is said, Lord, if you're saying that, keep me from doing that. You know, give me the strength, the encouragement, give me whatever I need so that never, ever happens. But when we rely on our own strength, well, then we fail. The endurance isn't going to be there. I mean, for me, for instance, the last several months, I've been, you know, working on counting calories every day with a, with a diet and all that. And, you know, some days are better than others, depending on what temptations are around me. The evil one brings a lot of temptations, which are going to um, make it hard to endure sometimes. So what everyone's doing here today, spending time in that word, 
listening to the encouragement the scriptures give us. And uh, again, the Holy Spirit using this to help us to grow and mature in our faith. Those are the things which really, uh, really increase our endurance, if you will. And it's interesting because he goes through the list and we're going to, um, we're going to pick up on the point after this. He starts talking about the Holy Spirit and how, how he works through that. And I think this goes into Galatians and the fruit of the Spirit that he has. But he speaks about what is going to happen almost in essence, or this is what has happened to me as a reminder then that, that these things will happen, that they've happened to me. And he does that throughout the book. And what that means is I'm still here and I'm still trusting in Jesus. And God will give you the endurance as he had the endurance to take on the cross itself. So he speaks about those things. You have afflictions, which obviously could be a whole bunch of different things. Hardships, calamities. I mean, he uses words as a little bit like, well, okay, what does that mean? Beatings, clearly that goes into stoning, it goes into flogging, those kind of things. Imprisonment, this is a, a main theme. He has a prison epistles for a reason. Riots, labors sleepless nights, and even hunger. Mm-hmm. All these things he's telling us are part of the Christian um, life, what he's had to go through. And he doesn't say, boy, this is terrible. Amen. I'll go you therefore and make disciples of all nations. No, <laughs> he, just, huh. he tells them these are the things that are going to be there. And why do you think he lays it out that way right there? Any thoughts before we have our break in about a minute? I think part of it is just Again, comparing it to the the words of the super apostles. I mean, again, for us as Christians, it's not like, oh, God, bring it on. Not like we want that stuff. But the reality is, if this stuff happened to Jesus, why wouldn't it happen to us? Because ultimately, our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the powers, the principalities. And so the evil one's going to always try to do whatever he can do to break people's spirit but we've been given not a human spirit, but the Holy Spirit. Well, that's a great segue for us to look at the next uh, portions, but for right now, we have to take a break. We are studying 2 Corinthians chapter 6 with Pastor Peter Schmidt, and we'll be right back. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. Welcome back. We are studying 2 Corinthians with Pastor Peter Schmidt of beautiful Savior Lutheran Church in Waukesha, Wisconsin. And we've been talking to this point about the day of salvation is here, but also when we walk with Jesus, there will be hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, and hunger. 
So obviously that is a point where I'm sure the Corinthians are like, well, great, sign me up. But it doesn't end there. He continues on and we'll be looking at verses 6 through 8a. We're not going to go through the whole verse, but 6 through 8a, when he expands on this and shows where is God in the midst of this. Verse 6, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech, and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise. So he obviously makes a transition here, Pastor Schmidt. And what is he saying? I think, you know, if we would have a whiteboard here and, and draw a couple of columns. Okay, here's all the negative stuff we've talked about, but let's balance that out and do more than balance it out. I mean, when you compare what is in the negative column to the wonder that's in the positive column, there's no comparison. So for instance, when he talks about just this whole idea of, of purity, I mean, can you imagine the wonder of what it's going to be like to be in heaven where there is absolutely no sin? I mean, no temptation, no falling into sin. Everything is just totally pure the way it's supposed to be. Okay, right now here on this earth, as we're followers of Jesus, you know, we can walk in this way. Knowledge, patience, kindness, this whole idea of, again, something, someone that's not out of control, just spouting off, but someone who in the midst of this can still show this love of God. Why? Because as you read it so well, uh, Pastor, right in the middle of this, the Holy Spirit. And what does the Holy Spirit bring? Well, he breathes and he helps us to breathe in God. And what's God in his essence? Love. And so by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can live in this genu genuine love, speaking the truth with the power of, of God. In other words, this power that is not human power in the sense that you know we're going to dominate because God doesn't use his power to dominate. God uses his power in love to build up to take what has been torn down by sin to make it new. And then we the weapons of righteousness in the, in the right hand and for the left, what is right? Where do we learn this? Again, the very word of God. And, he, and you know, you'll get the Holy Spirit, you know, call me by the gospel, enlighten me with his gifts and kept me in the one true faith. And from that, it, 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 it brings the fruit of the spirit. I feel like he's you know, thinking of this, it's almost like he's thinking the same thoughts. The Holy Spirit inspired him in the same way of Galatians. You know, chapter 5 is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And he speaks oh, yeah. about that, and he's speaking that here too, because when do we need those things? We need them when we're going through beatings and imprisonments and calamities and riots and all of these things. And so he starts listing this off to know, and then Ephesians 6, you know, weapon, you know, um, the, the armor of God type of language as well, not just to stop the arrows, but also to fight back um, with this oh, Holy Spirit. And so mm -hmm. it really is something where you're going for battle. This, this whole thing for Paul was never a, I'm sitting on the beach, sipping margaritas and telling you these things about how great and prosperous I am, which guarantee you would have some health and wealth mentality of the super apostles that were there. But here he is just blatantly telling them, listen, these things are going to happen, but you have something even stronger. 
The Lord is on your right hand. The Lord that was with David and Goliath is on your side as well. But it's not, it's not just about beating a big giant. It is about you staying in the faith and seeing our Lord bring people to faith in the midst of all of it. And so I don't, these verses are, are quite powerful because it shows you what you have as we walk with our Lord. Walk by faith, not by sight, as he says in the prior chapter. So other thoughts on those verses? Well, I think what, what's fascinating, what you were bringing up there, if you, if you go back to Paul's conversion, and here is this guy going around breathing murderous threats of violence against the church. So he is, you know, all the stuff that's happening to him here, which the Lord had shown him, you're going to go through this stuff. But all the stuff that he had, had been a part of him, if you will, from the other side, from uh, bringing it on people, what he thought was power, what he thought truly brought life, if you will, by dominating others. Jesus totally changed that on the road to Damascus. And then he had three days, you know, in solitude to think about it, if you will, kind of a forced time out by God. And then what happens? Now, Ananias comes, lays his hands on him, brother Saul. And what happens? He's baptized. The Holy Spirit fills him. Brand new life. And so the life is no longer power in our earthly sense of it. The new life is no longer trying to dominate other people. The new life is in Christ, given by the Holy Spirit. And so why was Paul used as effectively as he was by the Lord? Why did the Lord choose him? Because he has a good picture from personal experience of how the world works and what their understanding of power and and life is. And he says, look, you can do all this stuff to me. I used to do it to people too. But guess what? That can't take away the true life we have in Jesus. So the reality is the evil one's going to do what he can to tear apart God's people, just as he tried to do what he could to tear apart Jesus, getting him off that path. Remember, you know, Peter, when Peter told him, Lord, this is never going to happen to you. You're not going to suffer and die. You'll get behind me, Satan. You don't have in mind, you know, the thoughts of, of God, but of men. Okay, Paul understands that. And now it's like, okay, but we have something, again, so much better. Going back to those introductory verses, now is the time of salvation. You know, um, we have Jesus. We, the Holy Spirit giving us this wondrous, wondrous new life. Nothing, you know, everything else is garbage compared to Jesus. That's great. That's great. And I, when you look at, when you look at the humanness of Paul and you look at what he went through, it makes total sense. That idea of when, you know, before he was converted and, you know, as the scales went off his eyes almost, you know, that he was able to see and uh, the, the fullness of the gospel and what God had done for him, that he knew that life of of a super apostle almost like he could see that that the the demeaning way they would do it and trying to prove how powerful they were and to see things apart from the grace of god and now he's able to address it by showing hey these things are going to happen and and this is how god's going to um, strengthen you through this i can get through this i've seen it i've been there and i know of what's even better than all of this which is the grace of god for you and for me Let's continue in eight, uh, the rest of 8, and let's go through verse 10. We are treated as impostors, and yet are true, as unknown, and yet well-known, 
as dying, and behold, we live, as punished, and yet not killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessed everything. So he's going back and forth in this. Um, what 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 do you, what is he all pointing us to here, Pastor? Right. So again, this whole idea of starting out with, okay, people are treating them one way, yet nevertheless, you know how we are. So people say, oh, they're fake. He's a fake apostle, but you know we're not. Unknown, well, you know who I am. Other people know who I am. Dying, no, I'm I'm here very much alive and well. Punished, yep, but never put to death yet. Sorrowful, but yet I'm still rejoicing. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Poor, yet making many rich, having nothing yet possessing everything. So it goes back to that heart of the matter. I mean, it's almost like, you know, I'm talking about me a little bit, but I can't I can't talk about me anymore. I gotta talk again about I have to talk again about the gospel. I have to talk again about this wondrous gift we have in Jesus. And so, you know, I might not have much as far as earthly possessions and that, but I have everything when it comes to an eternal possession, and I want to give that to you free of charge. I have nothing, but I possess everything. Well, it goes back to chapter 4. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. And here it's kind of like the... uh, um, the, the moments of yet, you know, uh, as punished, but not yet killed, reminded that this might happen. This might happen yep. to us. But, you know, right now it's not sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. And I will rejoice. And this goes to Philippians chapter four, like you said, that, yeah, there, there will be rejoicing not only now, but forever when we are in the presence of Christ as poor, yet making many rich. Obviously, that is not to do with money but rich in the mercy and grace of our Lord Jesus. And you said it so well before that this clearly goes back to the idea of forgiveness, of forgiveness that he knew himself and having nothing. I mean, literally, he didn't have anything, but God provided even for tent makers in those days for him to travel all those miles all that time. And even though he didn't have a house or a retirement fund, or loads of cash in a lake home, at least in Minnesota, that's how we talk. If you have a lake home, then you've <laughs> really made it in this world. But yet he possesses everything. So he puts us into that place of showing it's not this, but it is this. It's not this, but it is this. And laying out even better what that grace was pointed to us in those first few verses. And for the sake he became sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And that we can say that we possess everything. Last thoughts on those verses before we move on? You know, what a fantastic section. All these verses we've looked at that that lay out all the bad stuff. What a fantastic section for anyone who is going through the challenges, the difficulties of life, the times where you question, God, are you really there? Are you really listening? Because Paul's a realist here. He's saying, okay, here is the reality of walking the walk of faith. But here at the end, it's like, okay, but yet this is what we still have. And so we have that endurance again. We keep walking with Jesus. And it's, you know, like that old footprints in the sand poem where people are like, how come 
you know, when I was going through that worst point in life, there was only one set of footprints thinking that, oh, God abandoned me. No, God said, no, my child, I was carrying you at that point. Here, Paul's almost kind of rejoicing in in this fact that we are going through all this stuff. No one is saying it's it's not hard. No one is saying it's a piece of cake. We know it's difficult. Life is difficult. It is filled with evil. It's a world which is fallen. But in the midst of this, there is Jesus. In the midst of this, there is eternal life. In the midst of this, there is true joy because we are truly loved by Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And I want to look at the few next few verses because I think he really brings out his pastoral um, heart towards these people, um, this church, he's not just people, but the church, the saints of Corinth. And a good reminder for us, once again, of the humanity that he has and the love that he has for these people. So let's continue verses 11 through 13. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak to, speak as to children. Widen your hearts also. I'm reminded here in verse 11, and I would be intrigued to see this, um, is, is this the only time that he speaks to them and says, freely to you, Corinthians? I, I think it is. I think it's the only time. Yeah. I, could, I want to be proven wrong, but I, I think it is. And it reminds me of this. And if you're in a serious discussion with somebody and you say, you know, for example, you know what, Peter, you know, if, if you and I are sitting down together, clearly I don't like need to get your attention. Well, hopefully not. You're not on your phone or, you know, watching the watching the Vikings game, which I know you love watching the Vikings games. Um, but uh, are they you in know, the playoffs? Or no? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. But anyways, <laughs> that I don't need to say, hey, hey, Peter, Peter, hey, hey, you know, when we do it. We'll say, you know what, Peter, you're right, whatever the situation might be, which means that this is important. It's all like when Jesus would say, behold, he would go on to say something else. But he, he spoke to them personally, and it, it's wonderful. He says, our heart is wide open, meaning that as we are in Christ, you are dearly beloved, not only by the Lord, but also by me. And we're not restricting you, just like a parent, you know, that a parent, a parent we, we are continually learning how to let our children leave the nest, if you will. And the restrictions often are not on, on us as much as them in their own own things. And he says, widen your hearts. I speak to you as to children. Widen your hearts also. It, he wraps all these things up to say, this is what I've been through. This is who we are. We are working together. And he lovingly addresses them, Corinthians, to remind them how much he loves them, which is obviously founded on the on on the, the the cross and the love that flows from that cross to you and me. So thoughts on those verses? Oh, absolutely. I mean, what you just said there so so beautifully. You think about you know a parent maybe saying to his or her kid uh, in his or her own way, you know, been there, done that. I've gone down this road. I know what it's like. This is why I'm giving you this advice. This is why I'm leading you in this direction because I don't want you to be hurt. But on the other hand, you know, I need some reciprocation here. I need that love 
that I'm showing you also to be reflected back to me because that's a healthy relationship. So I kind of think about, you know, when we go through these just few verses here, I think back to Jesus' parable, perhaps next to the Good Samaritan or maybe even more so than the Good Samaritan, his most popular, which is the parable of the prodigal son. And sometimes, you know, people wonder, well, why in the world did this dad let the kid go out, you know, blowing all his money while he was still alive? Because undoubtedly he knew his kid was going to do it. Well, sometimes, you know, parents have to let kids go through the hard knocks of life, that school of hard knocks, to get to a point where they realize, you know, I kind of missed all the things I really took for granted. I really miss this whole idea of love. So in that parable, the father's love never, ever changes, but the kid's love changes. And so we see here, um, Paul, he's just, again, opening his heart. I mean, he is his um, affection and concern for the Corinthians is just all over these letters. And this whole idea of, come on, I mean, I'm opening myself up to you. I'm, I'm having like this, this moment where I'm just being emotionally open with you and that. But um, I need you, I need you again to widen your hearts also, not just to um, your love for me, if you will, but well, as you love your neighbor as yourself, widening your heart that way. Well, we only do that if we truly love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So again, it comes back to let's live in love. And, you know, that beautiful chapter back in 1 Corinthians, that chapter on love, look, I can do all this stuff, but I have not love. if I don't have love, it's nothing. Well, then he goes through the section which you had mentioned in our first segment this morning, going back to like Galatians with the fruit of the Spirit. Um you know, love is patient, love is kind, et cetera, et cetera. It's almost like, again, that fruit of the spirit again. And so it's like, let's live in that love. Let, let's do that. I've spoken freely to you. Um, you know what? Let, let's build on this relationship of love. You know, I'm going to take one step here. When Paul writes this, he wants to be with the Corinthians. Oh, yeah. He writes this that, you know, in chapter one, he speaks about how he wants to visit them again. And there's obviously people questioning, yeah, see, he said he wanted to come, but he hasn't come yet. What's up with him? You know, super apostles probably aren't helping the situation either. And he speaks about his yearning to be with them. And then he speaks, you know, the promises. He doesn't go yes and no or yes and no and flip and flop. No, all the promises of God find their yes in Christ. And so I think about that a lot in our current context. The current context is the reality that our churches, pastors, church workers, teachers, are all missing very valuable people to them that they're not mm-hmm. able to connect with in the same way that they were. And you you feel this is why I think it's so powerful for me to hear this. And I think for other church workers or even very um, active members in their congregation, there's people you haven't seen since March, if not earlier, you know, late earlier than that. And there's a yearning here to remind them that, you know, open wide your hearts because the gospel is there and we are meant to be together. Um, any reflections on that? I think that relates. What, what are your thoughts? Oh, yeah. No, no, absolutely. I think one of the things 
the evil one through this whole pandemic, obviously he's trying to rip apart unity in a lot of different ways. But then the whole idea of, you know, being together as as the body of Christ, celebrating the supper together, uh, praying for each other together. I mean, obviously we have the benefit of being able to talk to people on the phone or doing face, FaceTime or Skype or whatever it is. But, you know, if you ask people, if you have a, cha- a choice between having uh, Thanksgiving, Christmas, Easter celebrations virtually or in person, disregarding, you know, COVID concerns and that, but if we weren't in a COVID world and if you had the opportunity to make your choice, most people, the vast majority of people are going to say, we, well, of course we need to be in person. It's just so much better. And so when you see this, this heart of Paul wanting to be with those people, yeah, I think we can all relate to that. Whether you be a church worker or just you're in a situation where you have family members, you can't see. Uh, but in the midst of that, this also gives us an opportunity to really share with people how important they are to us, how much we really miss being with them. So I've, I've said to our congregation a couple of times, you know, this online thing, I'm so glad we have the opportunity to have that as an option for worship. But we have to be very, very careful that it doesn't replace coming together. And so even doing sim- simple things and speaking to our our parents of young kids, because at least in our congregation, that's the one demographic that really is is kind of not you know coming back, you know, watching things online, but not coming back. It's so much easier uh, to sit down and watch it on the couch in the recliner with the family. And I have to admit, when when we were at the point where we couldn't be together, it was really kind of nice sitting down with my family and you know watching things on TV and listening to them, you know, critique. Dad, you could have made that point a little better or whatever it would be. But, you know, we have to be careful that just using certain things like, you know, I'm glad we have this, but it's not the same. I really miss being uh, together in church and teaching kids that too and grandkids that, that we just, we're thankful for what we can do, but we miss it. It's kind of like, you know, I think about people serving us in our armed forces away from their families. And yeah, in our day and age, you might have cell phones and FaceTime and Skype and all that. But it, you know, you still feel for just being apart from people and, and being together is such a wondrous thing. It's a great point, Pastor. Yeah. Yeah. So that, I think that's something that we're going to focus on the rest of Second Corinthians is that reality that Paul yearned to be with them and we can relate with that in our world today. Let's finish this off. We have about five minutes here left. So let's finish off chapter 6, verses 14 through 18. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, as God said. I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing, then I will welcome you. 
and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. So here he gives them a direction. So here's our relationship. Here's the things that you will have. Here's an example of how you are to live. And what is he instructing them to do in these last verses? Oh, man. I mean, first of all, just saying, you know, think about who you're hanging around. And what I mean by that is hanging around, not in a sense of interacting with people, but what what is it? Who are the ones that are your your influence? Who are the ones that are kind of helping to mold your core core values? And who are the ones that are really teaching you, if you will, um, about love and and relationship? And is it are these things bringing you? Are these people bringing you closer to the Lord, who would come close to you, Emmanuel, God with us, if you will, in Jesus? Or are these things pushing you away? And if they're pushing you away, how can you be around that stuff? And, you know, it's like Jesus cleaning out the temple. And, you know, how dare you do this to my father's house? You're making it into a den of thieves. Uh, how can you do that? And so, again, right at the end, what a, what a beautiful thing, okay? Then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord. Almighty, a marvelous picture again of relationship, and and this is what God God wants. He wants that relationship. But if you're going to mess around with other people, well, it's in other influences that are ungodly. Well, it's back to the Old Testament where the prophets would often speak of Israel as being adulterous. You know, you're supposed to be in this marriage relationship, and instead of being totally committed to this one who loves you. You know, you're going round after other things. Reminds me a little bit of, you know, when when you're a kid and your cousins from a far off land come and visit and you're hanging out with your cousins or aunt, uncle or grandma and grandpa. And all you want to do is go hang out with the other friends. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, you know, that's obviously a very tame example to our living Lord, the Lord of all creation and salvation of our of our of our everything. But it is a reminder for that, that that can happen so easily to us is that we are here. It is forgiveness, life and salvation being poured upon us. There it is. Today's a day of salvation has been given to you for free and he will be our God and he'll make his dwelling among us and you shall be my people. He says to us and we're like, so am I going to get a discount on my, uh, you know, at uh, Kohl's tomorrow or what's going on? And you're like, what? Yeah. Yeah. He says it so wonderfully, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, reminding us that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. There is someone worthy of being with and why yoke to something else? Pastor, we have about a minute left here. How would you sum up this wonderful chapter of Holy Scripture? Well, from the beginning to the end, now is the day. Yes, some people might say realistically, okay, if this is so great, how come there's all this bad stuff going on? You Look what's happening to you. Paul's saying, yeah, look what's happening to me. I have Jesus. And in the midst of all of that, the Holy Spirit giving me this life in Christ. And what's so great about this life in Christ? Well, what's so great about it is I get to dwell with God, not just now, but for all eternity. And that's what I want for you too, more than anything else. I want you to be in that loving, living, personal relationship with our Lord Jesus, just like I am. Give me one word to sum this up. 
Love. 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 Yep. Because Paul's love for the Corinthians stems from his love for God who first loved him. And it just, he's in love with them because he's in love with God who's in love with him. And this is love, not that we love, but but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Amen. Pastor Peter Schmidt, a beautiful Savior of Lutheran Church in Waukesha, Wisconsin, helping us today in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Pastor Schmidt, thank you for being our guest. Hey, thank you so much. As it tells us, behold, now is a favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. That is our hope. That is our strength. Our Lord dwells with us. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hands.